Every week, journalists at the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications report important stories for the people of North Central Florida and beyond. Some teachers have been instructed to take down safe space signage. How does that sort of affect students who are being signaled to, oh, this is no longer a safe space? And why are school districts taking these preemptive actions if the law isn't requiring them? With a month into this school year, the first school year that these uh, laws have existed, I'm just curious, do you feel like you have more agency than you did before? In public school settings, where is the line drawn when it comes to oversight? This is The Rewind from WUFT News. I'm Matthew Bell, your host for this week. I'll take you through the strongest reporting coming out of the college and a discussion with the people most familiar with these stories. In March of this year, the Florida Senate passed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, a law that prohibits classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in the state's primary schools. Dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill by its critics, the bill is having a chilling effect on teachers around the state who are unsure how to navigate through the law. Also passed in the state of Florida is House Bill 7, commonly known as the Stop Woke Act, which stops employers with 15 or more employees from teaching concepts based on national origin, race, sex, or color. This week, the Rewind team reached out to education reporters and education officials from around the state to see how schools have been handling the situation. Producer Nathaniel Wilson speaks with Claire Heddles, a reporter for WJCT News in Jacksonville today, who talks on what's changed in Duval County. Here's Claire. So since the school year started in Duval County schools, the district had teachers remove posters for All In for Safe Schools. This was reported first by a colleague at the Florida Times Union, and what she found was that they had sent out a notification to teachers to remove all of the posters or signs in the windows that said All In for Safe Schools, which was the district's program to support LGBTQ students. It's not exactly clear why the district is having the teachers take those down because the state hasn't yet issued guidance for how to implement the law for grades above K through three. The state has said that they are going to send guidance. The district says they're expecting that in the next six months or so, but they haven't actually received the guidance yet. So some of the actions are really preemptive, I think, and in some ways in in anticipation of what they think the guidance might be, but they're taking stronger action than what the state is currently requiring under the law. And what are some other changes that you've seen since the school year started? One thing that we've seen in Duval schools very differently than when I was reporting on the school district last year is sort of a willingness to challenge the state that was in place during COVID protection battles. And so last year, when the district wanted to keep its mask mandate, even though the state wanted them to take it out, this district was a lot more willing to sort of challenge the state, it seemed like at that point. And then, you know, they ended up withholding school board member salaries at Duval schools and Alachua County schools and a set of school districts around the state because of this effort that the districts had put in to maintain their mask mandates. And what I'm hearing from parents and teachers is that they feel like the district is a lot less willing to push back against the state when it comes to some of these measures around LGBT issues, specifically the the new legislation that passed. What we're hearing from the district is just the law is the law. We have to follow the law. But a lot of what they're doing actually isn't required by the law. They're things that they anticipate the state wants them to do that aren't required yet. And why are school districts taking these preemptive actions if the law isn't requiring them? 
we have seen, and we can show evidence, that in Duval County, part of the actions that they're taking are related to pressure from parents that have certain ideas of what they want their kids' classrooms to look like. And then there's also the pressure from the state and sort of the ominous threat of lawsuits that parental rights and education provides, which is that parents can sue over, you know, the law not being practiced in a certain way. And so I think it's sort of this nebulous threat that there could be lawsuits that the district is trying to avoid. And what kinds of things should people keep a close eye on as this issue continues to unfold? Definitely how parental rights and education is panning out because the state hasn't issued formal guidance yet for grades over third grade. I think it's really important what these school districts are doing because a lot of it isn't required at the moment. And so we're seeing districts set new precedents for themselves under sort of what they imagine is to be required by the law, but really isn't necessarily. So I I think parents and community members should be watching their districts, not just in Duval County, but across Florida closely to see what policies are implementing that are actually required by the law and what policies are being implemented out of pressure or fear. And I guess I'm I'm also hearing from community groups and parents just concern for what this is going to do to LGBTQ kids. A lot of the provisions that were in place, especially the support guides across the state, you know, a bunch of school districts had these support guides. And I think what parents are telling me is that they really felt like even if their child's teacher wasn't supportive of their child's queer trans identity, there were these clear policies in place that they could point to, to say, you have to make sure you're protecting my kids' rights in these ways, and they feel like they don't have that stability anymore. So I just think there's kids that are at higher risk of poor mental health outcomes because of some of the choices that are being made, and that's what experts are saying and what parents are saying. That was Claire Heddles, a reporter with WJCT News in Jacksonville today, speaking with producer Nathaniel Wilson about how Duval counties are reacting to the laws. Some educators are fighting back against the legislature, arguing these laws discriminate against and censor teachers. Producer Jack Prater spoke with Dana Thompson-Dorsey, a professor at the University of South Florida and plaintiff in the ACLU's case against the state over House Bill 7. I was hoping you could give just a quick background on the ACLU case against HB7 and just an update on what's happening now. The initial lawsuit or complaint was filed August 18th, and that particular claim included claims uh, dealing with the First Amendment in terms of speech and academic freedom, as well as the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause, as well as the civil rights claim under 42 U.S.C., Section 1983. And then there was another, um, there was another filing with the court on August 22nd, and that was a preliminary injunction. Those claims were filed in the United States District Court in Tallahassee. And at this point, I believe there'll be arguments made in, in court in October, specifically dealing with the preliminary injunction. How do you expect that to go when, when the arguments are heard? Honestly, it's it's hard to tell, but I am hopeful that actually the preliminary injunction will be granted. Uh, there is a lot of questions about HB7 around the state and not just in dealing with the lawsuit, 
because they, the language is vague and very um, broad as well. So there are some questions with interpreting it for teachers and professors and just everyday people. So um, wouldn't be surprised but and quite hopeful that uh, the preliminary injunction will, will be granted, but it's just hard to say. Could you tell me about some of the fallout that you've seen since HB7 and some of these, these other laws have passed? Well, with HB7 specifically, and then there's HB1557, which is also known as the Don't Say Gay Law. A lot of fallout that I'm seeing are in, in K-12 institutions, mainly. I'm seeing it in higher ed as well, um, definitely. But for teachers and school leaders, they don't know what to do on how, or how to interpret it and what they can do and say and teach in their schools. I teach school law, and I've heard from many of my students that I taught over the summer and currently this, this fall semester, uh, that depending on what school district they're in, um, we'll use, for example, one HB 1557, teachers are being told to remove safe zone stickers from their classrooms and their classroom doors. Some have been removed from their doors without their permission. They're basically being told not to say or uh, anything dealing with uh, LGBTQ plus um, individuals or communities. In many cases, have been told also to remove any books from their classrooms that deal with those issues. In one particular school district, teachers have been told to not have any books in their classroom other than the, the state-approved or school district-approved textbook. So there, there has been quite a bit of fallout. And with regards to HB7, dealing with the issues of race and gender and, and also sexuality, but any topic that would be deemed divisive or make people feel uncomfortable or feel guilty about issues dealing with these topics, don't know how to teach them, particularly if they're teaching issues around civics or government social studies. They're not quite sure what they can say and what they can't say, even when these issues have to be brought up in as part of the curriculum. Although the law says that you can talk about these particular issues, um, particularly around race and racism and, and gender as part of the curriculum, you're also told that you have to teach from an objective perspective. And objectivity or, or what is objective is different to different people. It is defined differently. And um, I believe most teachers have stayed away from, through, through their careers as professionals, from giving their opinion in the classroom. But where does it come in where you are bringing in the appropriate materials, since so many materials have been banned these days, that brings in an objective view based on what you're supposed to teach and it is part of the curriculum. Because you don't want to whitewash or water down the issues as if racism didn't really exist or sexism didn't, well, what we say doesn't exist because it still does. So I think a lot of teachers are fearful of what to say and what not to say and how to teach as part of the curriculum and not lose their jobs. You said some teachers have been instructed to take down safe space signage. How does that sort of affect students who are being signaled to, oh, this is no longer a safe space? I think students are feeling that. I mean, students have access to so much more information. Even very young students these days have access to a lot more information than children did even, you know, five years or a decade ago. 
particularly students that um, consider themselves um, LGBTQ+, they know about these issues. They also know about the, the law that passed last year dealing with transgender students and, and uh, playing sports. So I think they're already feeling that they don't have a safe space. But I think there was some security um, and comfort that students felt that there were classrooms that even if they didn't feel quite safe in the school district or the school itself, there were classrooms and teachers where there was a safe space. But now that teachers have been forced to take that signage down, or in some cases, it has been taken down for them. I don't know where students feel like they can turn. Do you expect any long-term impact in education from some of these laws? The university has always been a place of free thought, a place where all students can learn about different things from different perspectives and people from different backgrounds. And that's what makes higher education so special. And HB 7 limits the opportunities for teachers to teach and students to learn. If we don't teach these things and we don't teach the history, then in the next generation or two, we will repeat the same mistakes and we will no longer be a country that is a follower and believer of democracy. We would have failed the American experiment. That was producer Jack Prater speaking with Dana Thompson-Dorsey, a professor at the University of South Florida and plaintiff in the ACLU's case against the state over House Bill 7. While the Parental Rights and Education Act limits classroom discussion in grades K-3, through other facets of the education system are also being affected. Student reporters in middle and high school are unsure of how they should go about covering the issue. Producer Julia Cooper speaks with Executive Director for the Florida Scholastic Press Association, Adam Levesay, about how student reporters and their advisors are dealing with the aftermath of these bills being passed. What is the general reaction to recent legislation like the Don't Say Gay bill? Now that we're well into the school year, how are we seeing it affect people in classes? Um, I can speak from the, from the teachers I know who are part of the board and not a part of the board, especially specifically in student journalism. It's kind of weird that, you know, the Don't Say Gay bill technically is supposed to be covering you know kindergarten through third grade instruction so how does that affect you know student journalists in middle and high school when you look at it there shouldn't be any direct effect but i think the bill itself and the way it is worded or you know not worded specifically is scaring a lot of people and they're not 100 percent sure what it means for their classroom and they're kind of I think everybody is kind of in a a waiting game to see how it will affect them but I think if I was to describe it in one word it's maybe the unknown people just really don't know how this specific bill will affect them in their classroom do you have any specific examples or anecdotes of things that teachers have told you they're encountering? The one specific example that, you know, ironically enough happened prior to the legislation even coming into effect was last year, Lyman High School out in Longwood, Florida in Seminole County. They had a spread in their yearbook about the walkouts that happened statewide over the bill. It happened in early March, way before the bill came into effect. It was simple journalism, fair reporting, they just talked about what happened on campus. 
the yearbook was published and printed in May and was getting ready to be passed out to students. And the principal got the first copy, tweeted a picture saying, hey, look, got the yearbook. It's great. And then about 24 hours later, called the advisor up and said, we can't print this. Um, this specific spread, the one on the walkout, was not, was not appropriate. He said that came down from the school board. Nobody knew where that was going, like where that came from. It was, it was kind of a shock to everybody. There was other schools in the district that also then got their books reviewed. Nobody else's got pulled. Two other ones in that district did also cover it. Their coverage just wasn't as large as Lyman's high school was, where it took over two pages. The reasoning that the school board gave was that there is a policy that states they sh they can't cover non-school sanctioned events. And this wasn't a school sanction, you know, a walkout wasn't a school sanctioned event. There's emails from the principal back when the walkout happened, specifically telling teachers not to stop students if they were going to participate, which, you know, I guess it's not school sanctioned, but that also wasn't not allowed. So the students went to the school board and fought the censure of their First Amendment rights. And when they went to the school board and represented, there was probably 20 or 30 of them there. The school board backed down. They did make them edit and they specifically made them put a sticker in this book that said that this was not a school sanctioned event because that was the part that they were upset about. You know, ultimately got passed. But again, what's ironic is this is about a walkout that happened in March for you know, supporting the LGBTQ plus community against, you know, this proposed legislation. So while it isn't a direct cause of the law specifically, I do think it goes to show how people are interpreting the law, or at least worried about how the law will be interpreted and trying to um, protect themselves. In public school settings, where is the line drawn when it comes to oversight? You know, the Supreme Court cases, specifically the Hazelwood case, which is over 30 years old now. And a lot of people point to that that says schools can approve their or at least censor the work that student journalists are doing. As far as uh, the stance of FSPA is concerned, the right of free press is in the First Amendment. And that shouldn't stop when students get to school. Hazelwood actually the the problem with it is it leads to like unequal practices of freedom of speech and press and expression in schools again because it doesn't specifically stop it so in Florida there are no laws protecting student journalists in 15 other states across the country there has been this new voices movement that they 15 other states now have laws that specifically protect not only student journalists but their advisors from also getting backlash on something that the students publish. So in Florida, we don't have that. We are pushing for that. We hope, you know, sometime in the future that that will, that will happen. But unfortunately, that's, <laughs> it is unclear and it, you know, differs from school to school. And there's school districts that have laws in place that specifically say that administration has the right to look at, you know, publications before they go to press. Orange County, I know, has one on the books that specifically says that. Is there anything else that you think is noteworthy about this topic? Specifically, I would, I think the one part I would say, and that's the, the part that I think we all know, but 
a lot of the teachers I talk to and that are part of the organization, even part of our board, they worry about their jobs. I have, you know, I have a board member who was a journalist and is now a teacher and they admit to censoring their students work because they are worried about not just their job, although that's important because they, you know, it's their livelihood, but also the, you know, they're trying to protect their students from, from what might come of a fight for that. Um, and that to me is sad. And it's just, you know, when you look at the number of teachers, teacher openings in, in districts, I think yesterday I saw Hillsborough County has over 700 teacher openings still that I think the, uh, the larger effect of this specific, you know, legislation is that it kind of just has teachers worried. And let's be real, the thing that this bill is trying to protect, I don't think probably, and I'd be willing to bet, doesn't actually go on in classrooms. So the fact that so many teachers are worried about it, so many teachers decided that it wasn't worth coming back to school over. And there's obviously other <laughs> things that go into that too. Teaching is, teaching is a very hard and thankless profession. But when you just look at the numbers, not even with, you know, scholastic journalism, but when you look at the numbers and go, wow, it's kind of telling what this type of legislation does. That was producer Julia Cooper speaking with executive director for the Florida Scholastic Press Association, Adam Levesay, on the impact these laws are having on schools around the state. Joe Smith is a local pastor at Shift Church in Gainesville. Originally from St. Louis, Joe and his family have lived in Gainesville for 10 years. His daughter graduated from Buholes High School in 2020, and his son just started middle school in town. Joe has recently started becoming involved in the Alachua County PFLAG organization and Pride Center. Producer Ezra Sheffield sat down with Joe to learn more about how he and other parents in the county are reacting to the Parental Rights in Education and Stop Woke Act laws one month into the new school year. So when you first heard about the Parental Rights in Education Act and the Stop Woke Act, maybe before they were passed, how did you react? How did that make you feel? Honestly, uh, not not very happy about them. I was okay with the original parental rights bill. I think it was passed in like 2019 that allowed, you know, parents to have some say. And, you know, having kids, I want to be able to say, you know, what's age appropriate, what's not. And I never have a, I never had a problem with any of that type of stuff. But the one that came up past last, no, it was past last summer, right? Uh, absolutely not. Reading through that, the language was so vague. It didn't add anything to what parents already had, you know, like the rights that I had to go into the school and talk with administrators. It didn't add anything. And I actually was invited to speak out against it at the, the city council meetings and the school board meetings and uh, the We Say Gainesville rally. Uh, that was held here in town. I want to go back to how these bills, as they were being kind of promoted, that they were meant to give parents more agency over their children's mm -hmm. education. And with a month in to this school year, the first school year that these laws have existed, I'm just curious, do you feel like you have more agency than you did before over <laughs> what no. your, your child learns at school? No. No, I, I, we've always been involved and the, the, the school district has always been fantastic. We have never, ever had an issue with wanting to speak with a teacher or asking questions. Our teachers are fantastic. They're not pedophiles. They're not groomers. They're not indoctrinating kids. 
So no, short answer, no, I don't feel like I'm more empowered because I was empowered before. So I, I just don't, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. As a local pastor and community member, someone who interfaces with other parents frequently, have you had any conversations with parents who have talked about how they feel more empowered? I, I don't know anybody that has put, just kind of come out and said, I feel like I can say, or I have more, you know, whatever. I have friends that were in support of the bill because they felt like it would give them more. And we would, we would talk through those things. I haven't had a conversation with anybody that said, yeah, we feel like I couldn't say anything before, but now I can. I do know several families that these bills are hindering uh, different things. Yeah, explain that for me a little bit more. What, what are these parents saying? I'm, I'm involved with PFLAG and our local pride. And one of the things that we're seeing is a, a, a huge uptick in families reaching out, needing support because uh, their children and their students are feeling very, especially if they're out, they're feeling like they're, they're being pushed back into the closet. They feel like they're being erased. Uh, teachers that, that may be queer, that might have a same-sex spouse, right? There are districts, there are counties in the state where they're, they are self-censoring just in case. And so family pictures are having to be put away and the safe space stickers are having to be taken down. Here locally, uh, we've had an influx of parents calling, looking for uh, extra support. So next week, we're um, doing our first community-wide queer student meetup at the Pride Center uh, next Thursday. There's lots of families that are scared. Um, lots of students that are scared about what this, because um, it's so vague, right? There's nothing coming until next year. Like there's no specifics for an entire school year. And so you've just got all of these families and students just kind of left in this haze and they're not sure what they can and can't do or what they can and can't say. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear. So with your son going into middle school this year, have you noticed a change in the way he interacts with his schoolwork or his school life or a way that he interacts with you and his school life? Have you noticed any changes in that since the passage of this law this year? No. Um, unfortunately, uh, the administration, we had a long conversation with our administration before uh, the school year. We sat down with them and wanted to hear uh, like their game plan. We, we know that the, that countywide, that the school board is, is supportive, that they're going to do what is best for students and they're going to, you know, protect the students, especially this year where there's like no set, there's no set course. Our administration was uh, super supportive. We wanted to make sure that a real American history was going to be taught. And they assured us that it would, that they wouldn't glance past or tone down anything. And it, you know, of course it's all age appropriate, but that they would teach those things and that um, students that, that are uh, queer that would be there wouldn't be outed or wouldn't be treated as different, that they would still be protected. Um, any trans students would still be protected uh, just like they were before. So, um, so we were very happy to hear those things. So my son, as far as he's concerned, he, he hears us talking about those things or has seen us speak out against those things. But as far as like him just being a kid and being able to hang out with his friends, and them just being who they are, that hasn't changed for, for us, for him. So what's the biggest concern that you're hearing from the parents and students in your community? The thing that I'm hearing is just the fear of some of the stuff that we're seeing happen across the state. And just, okay, well, when is that going to come here then, 
right? Like it's okay. When's the other shoe going to drop? And it's just that constant underlying stress of, you know, is this going to start happening here? Or is the, is the governor going to, you know, do this or do that? I think that's the biggest fear. What might you say to parents and students and families that might not be as involved as you are, but are still sharing your same fears? Anybody listening to this, if you're, you know, if you're LGBTQIA family or uh, you know families or you've got students that are that are have come out queer or haven't come out, um, there are uh, there are groups out there working uh, for you on your behalf to provide spaces, to provide, you know, resources. There's a lot of people that are standing with you guys. That was producer Ezra Sheffield speaking with local pastor Joe Smith on how Smith has perceived the laws and their outcomes. That's all for this episode. For more on each story, make sure to check out WUFT.org. The Rewind from WUFT News is produced by Julia Cooper, Jack Prater, Ezra Sheffield, Nathaniel Wilson, and Matthew Bell. Our executive producer is Ryan Vasquez. WUFT News is operated out of the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Remember to follow us at WUFT News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news and information. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Bell. See you next week.